Welcome to Going Off Track. It is Brad, Stephen, and Jonah. I did our names out of order. You don't know who we are. Oh, wait. <laughs> who, who, who am I? I don't know. Basically, if um, it sounds crappy, <laughs> that means I said I was Brad and I'm producing because I can't edit for shit. Um, and today's guest is Mr. Ralph Craig. Ralph Craig, um, yoga teacher, Buddhist. I'm stretching right now. All around great guy. All and around great guy. He came on. Um, I've been talking to him for a while. I take I take yoga with him in the mornings, and uh, I told him about the podcast, and he was like, "You should have me come on the podcast." And I was like, "Yes, I totally should." Yes, we should. And I'm glad that he did because it's a super interesting podcast. I think it's a little different we, from what we normally we, talk we, we about. Think it's a lot different. It's yeah, way different, but it's very cool, and I learned a lot, and I hope you guys do as well. But he, uh, Ralph has something going on. Ralph does. Uh, he helped set up a. Uh, an upcoming workshop with John Campbell, who's one of his teachers, and it is at Go Yoga, which is on North 6 between White and Berry in Williamsburg, and it's called Exploring the Depths, the Meditative Practices of Ashtanga and Buddhist Yoga. And that is June 7th through 9th, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, five sessions, and you can sign up on the Go Yoga site, and I'll be there, and I think it's going to be awesome. If you happen to be, if you live in other parts of the country and happen to be in the New York City area that weekend, you should definitely try it, because why the fudge not? Also, if you happen to be around that very weekend, you can stop by Union Hall in Park Slope, Brooklyn, for the second Going Off Track live recording. Yes. We will be there drinking five points, talking into microphones, and um, I'm going to have one and a half and be looped because I'm a big old lightweight. And you know, I will have taken two classes that day and be super sore. It's like <laughs> you should do the yoga and then it's kind of like it's kind of like buying um, carbon credits. You can then go out and party with us. Oh yeah, and you've like you've already paid it off. You can you can stretch out your body and relax your muscles and your mind and come to our live podcast recording and reverse all of that in the reverse. worst way. Yeah, and just hurt yourself completely. June eighth, guys, big day. June eighth, uh, special guest. We can announce there will be more, but right now we have Lyle Presslar. You may know him from our fourth podcast, I believe. Question it was. mark? Question yeah, mark from Minor Threat and Sam Hain. Oh, Minor Threat and Sam Hain. No big deal. Not bad resume. And Jenny Owen Youngs, it was a friend of four. everyone's. It was number four. Right? Jenny Owen Youngs. I couldn't tell you what number Jenny Owen Youngs was, but. Lyle was four. 41. 41. Four and 41. And she was four, four and 41. It's a Jonah Matranga song, almost. <laughs> almost. Get that dude back in here. Love Jonah. Uh, but we love Ralph. And after hearing him talk, you will too. It's going off track! Well, today on Going Off Track, our guest is Ralph Craig, uh, my yoga teacher, um, philosopher. <laughs> Singer, Tina Turner fan. Mm-hmm. Aren't we all? <laughs> yes. I fit all of those but yoga. <laughs> Big wheels keep on turning. You know, and uh, we had a pretty intense class this morning, and then we came here. You're the reason that Jonah is one in shape, which offends me, and um, <laughs> tired, <laughs> which I often find funny, because if you get Jonah in, you know, in a, a good state of mind, I'll start, you know, talking about where he was last night or who he was talking to, which always makes Brad and I very happy. <laughs> We're living by Karen. <laughs> Those stories are always awesome. Always great. Now, you said before you started, you're from New Orleans? Yes. And how'd you get to New York? Uh, I came here, what was it, five years ago. And um, I thought, like, 
actually, unlike most people, I didn't think I would come here and make it here. I just thought I woke up and I was like, I need to go somewhere. And I was, I, my original idea was Philadelphia or, or Boston. And I ended up in New York. Somewhere, somewhere, the average of Boston and Philadelphia seems to be New York. So I ended up in New York, and now it's been five years. So you took the median route. You're like, I took the median route. I missed the exit in Philly. Crap. <laughs> and, I, and I don't want to go to Newark. Exactly. <laughs> so I came to New York. And then I, I came here, and then at some point here, I started teaching yoga. I decided that yoga would be my full-time thing. Wow. But you had spent a lot of time in India prior to that? I have. I've been to India three times. Uh, the first time for about two months, and then for a month, the two subsequent times. Uh, and But mo- I've also traveled through a lot of Asia, through a lot of China, Thailand, Vietnam, um, Singapore, also through Africa, through Europe. But I really enjoy Thailand, the mountains of Thailand. Thailand's like... India without the foolishness. <laughs> What's so foolish about India? You know, it's just unbelievably dirty and crowded and they, they lie so much, you know. Like the Indian people would, you know, they can never be wrong. So if they don't know, you know, I was talking about direction. They don't know where to, where to go. Like if you ask them how to get somewhere and they don't know, they'll just tell you whatever they want. Oh, just, I do that all the time. <laughs> an Indian at heart. Nah. <laughs> and but so you, Thailand is like a similar culture. What's funny about Thailand is whenever I mention, I love telling my father that people like Thailand because that's where he was stationed during Vietnam. It's like, why the hell do you want to go there? It's the worst place. I'm like, not everybody gets dysentery, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> Which I got in India. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> not in Thailand. But, no. What, uh, what what get what got you on the path to being a yogi? The Bhagavad Gita and Siddhartha. I was given those two books, and I read them. And this is the uh, that really thin, really cheap Barbara Stowe Miller translation of the Bhagavad Gita, and then just that the copy of Siddhartha that with the blue faded Buddha. The, on the Hess one. Yeah. How old were you at this point? Mm, I don't remember. It was this was thirteen years ago. This twelve or thirteen years ago at this point, and. So I did that. So I read that. And I thought, the first thing I thought was, I I want to be a Buddhist and I want to be Siddhartha in this novel. And just so, certain scenes from it just really touched me. And then I just was like ready to move outside in the backyard of my house, basically. I was still in New Orleans at the time. And I was like going to dig a ditch in the backyard. I'm going to live out here. Because I was really into it. And my, so my first thought was to convert to Buddhism. And I found a, a great practice and a great center and organization. And I joined that organization. So I, I, was, I started practicing Buddhism first. Then, through circuitous events, <laughs> I ended up in a yoga class in New Orleans. And uh, yeah, I just kept doing it. I had, but I didn't like it. I did not like it. I didn't feel better after doing it. I didn't, I was just, I did it for uh, maybe three months. And then when the class, when like the series was over, the class, I asked the teacher, how should I continue? And she said, well, actually, what I've been teaching you is something called Ashtanga Yoga. And you should get this book by David Swenson. 
and you know work through this book and the dvds and so that's what i did for years by myself just i kept that i asked her how much i should practice and she said it every day in ashtanga you take saturdays off but she didn't even say that she said every day so for <laughs> years i practiced seven days a week wow no matter where i was no matter what i was and doing. what were you doing all this time uh to support yourself like what do you live at oh home? i was in school okay. and i was also living at home and you know they're not they're unlike new york you know to sell your firstborn to, yeah. to exist so they actually stopped that law a few years ago oh did they <laughs> <laughs> I think they cut that right around the time they made tattooing legal, around uh, 94. So it's the third child. <laughs> yeah, third one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They wait for a plane. Damn third child. How did you end up studying with, you mean you studied with so many amazing teachers like Richard Freeman, oh, yes. Tabby Joyce, and John Campbell. I mean, how did you get hooked up with all those kind of people? Well, but Tabby Joyce was his just, if you do a shanga, his name was circulating. And I admittedly, I was younger, so I, I didn't really think about how important he was. It was just everybody was getting on the bandwagon. And I thought, well, since I do Ashtanga and I have the opportunity to go, I should. That was when he was on a tour in America. I can't, it was either 2003, 2004, maybe in 2002, something like that. Then I went to India because after that, I like had known about him. But Richard Freeman had been an idol of mine. I was like, I have to tell this too. Richard Freeman, the joke about him is always that he is proof that there's life on other planets. I mean, he's just, he's very otherworldly, very, just very tall and long and old. And he's great. The greatest thing. I mean, Richard Freeman's not old. I never said that. But he's just, he's great. <laughs> And he doesn't age. That is otherworldly. <laughs> it's quite. He's quite otherworldly. And I had his DVDs, but I always wanted to meet him. But I never thought. I just never saw any reason why I would because he was in Boulder. Then he came to Pure Yoga when I got hooked up with John Campbell, who was my Ashtanga teacher. Uh, when I got hooked up with John Campbell and I started to practice under him, he brought richard freeman in for just a three-hour workshop they squeeze it in between something else richard was doing so he comes i see this wandering being outside who's just lost you know he's just like looking around and i was like oh my god i think that's richard freeman (laughs) and so the manager of the studio this is pure yoga on the upper west side goes outside to get him to like get richard who's like wandering about lost they bring richard in and i'm sitting on the stairs and i was like i gotta meet him i gotta meet him i got he gets down the stairs i creep up behind him because i can be creepy i creep up behind him and i put my hand on his my full hand not a fingertip nothing like that i put my whole hand on his shoulder and i said and i squeezed a little bit i said Hi, Richard. I just wanted to meet you. And he turns around very, very slowly. Timeless. He turns around very slowly. He looks me in my eyes and the world stopped. I thought my knees were going to buckle. He looks me in my eyes and he goes, hello, Ralph. It's nice to meet you. And I was like, and I just was like, you should see the photo from that day. Buck wild. My hair is all over the place. I have this crazy smile and Richard just says it's like pleasant oh you know just a person I'm taking a photo with and I'm like <laughs> that's, eyes bulging. that's awesome when you meet someone you dig and they're cool most people are cool yeah. but especially that really yeah. cool he's really cool so then in 2011 I went they do this retreat in upstate New York at this place called Minla that he does with John Campbell and Ro- Professor Robert Thurman who's a professor at 
Colombia, and he also runs Tibet House. Uh, he's a big Buddhist scholar. Uh, he's also Uma Thurman's father. And they do this retreat together. So I went on this retreat with John, and I got very close to Richard's wife, Mary, because, I mean, I got to talk to Richard and hang out with him, and Richard's just generally cool. But his, you know, his wife is like the power behind the throne. And You need someone to let you know where you're going. Exactly. Yeah. And the, his <laughs> wife is like, the she's the best. <laughs> and we would be up at 4 a.m. every morning, have coffee, and then practice together. You know, and she just gave me great feedback about the adjustments I gave her mm-hmm. and, and, and gave me great adjustments. And we got really close. And then they invited me out to Boulder for their teacher training last summer to do an intensive with them uh, on a on a scholarship. They're just they're just great people, and I met them, and you know, I had no reason to think they wouldn't be, but I had no reason to think they would be either. And they just turned out to be the most amazing, the coolest people. And then John Campbell is just great, you know. And how, how'd you how'd you grow up like in New Orleans? Like like mm-hmm. is your is your family like oh wow he's into yoga or was it a surprise to them? Was it something did they you... they thought to themselves if somebody in the family would be into some nonsense like that it would be him. Really, you know we were in New Orleans. Louisiana is strange because it's in the Bible Belt, but it's a Catholic state. Mm-hmm. So half my family is Catholic, and the other half is Baptist, and I was christened and baptized dude so my father's like total blood drinking catholic and my mother's southern baptist oh there we go yeah my dad was excommunicated by the catholic church for marrying a baptist oh wow in 69 oh wow yeah which is hilarious (laughs) but yeah i dude i'm with you and that'll mess and that'll that'll tweak your head a bit it'll tweak your head but i (laughs) was really into it when i was a child i had just i was always very into i wouldn't say spiritual because that word doesn't mean anything but i was really into Religion. I was a very religious person, it, more so than my family. I was the one that was like, we are going to church. I was reading the I just loved the Bible, and it was my favorite thing ever. It's still great. But which you one? Because if you have half Catholic, half Baptist, there's different books in the Catholic There are Bible. different books. Uh, I always read the Baptist, the yeah. Bible that they use in the mm-hmm. Baptist church. And that's just mostly because I took it from the church. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that was That's a I, theft they don't mind. No, not at all. They, they put it in hotel rooms. Yeah. And well, the Gideons I, are a different group. Huh? There's a Gideons are a different group. The Gideons? That's the people who leave it in hotel rooms. The Gideons oh, are specific. Oh. That's not Baptist or anything. Oh, okay. That's a specific sect. You learn something new every yeah, day. Man. Especially when you're a Jew. I have no idea what you guys are talking about either. <laughs> I'm learning a lot. You're like, you're like Messiah hasn't even shown up yet. <laughs> What's going on? And so, yeah, I just... My family thought if somebody would be into it, it would be him. But Buddhism was admittedly a different, or a totally different turn for them. They're all like, you what? And then, you know, we had the, the God argument all the time. And I was, and I was just like, there is, you can't be. And I said this when I was much younger. I said, you cannot be a thinking person and really feel certain ways. And Buddhism, I mean, I, you know, I don't. I mean, I'm known for controversially going against other people's beliefs. I'm happy to have a good debate. But my personal feeling was when I started to study Buddhism and the teachings of Nietzsche and Buddhism and all this, these kinds of things, you know, and it's, it's practice of meditative chanting. But beyond that, the philosophy, the metaphysics, all this stuff, it was the first time I looked at something and was like, 
this makes perfect sense. Whereas, as I recall being a child and I recall studying, and, you know, it's all kinds of things where you're like, if I thought the world worked that way, I would feel this uh, this way. You know, like I would read a verse in the Bible and be like, if I really thought people were that crappy, I would totally agree with stoning them. I'd be all about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It just was a lot of things where I had to be like, if, then yes. Whereas Buddhism was the first thing I looked at and I was, you know, they were talking about that everything is that there is a dynamic potential for change because things do not have inherent existences. They do not have existences unto themselves. They depend on causes and conditions for their arising. And thus, by changing the causes and conditions, you can change the arising. That makes that made total sense to me. I was like, word. If I <laughs> kick my sister, she gets upset. <laughs> tackles me and then I don't do you know what I mean it just there was a there's a logic and Buddhist thought developed a very rigorous logic so now how do you go how do you you know my thing I like Buddhism mm-hmm. um and because as my therapist says it puts the onus on you, you <laughs> yes know? it does um, which is great because a lot of religions don't do that they put the onus on something else that mm-hmm. happens so you can blame something it's about blame well, those misplaced daddy yes yeah. oh god mm-hmm. it's, all, it's all it's all it's all you know it's like religion is for people who like to join clubs, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. And, but Buddhism, the thing that really struck me about it after reading Siddhartha and um, uh, a great Miyazaki comic about Buddha, which oh, is yeah? hilarious and poorly translated and also awesome. It's mm-hmm. amazing. It's like seven volumes. I highly recommend it. But that what kills me about Buddhism is there's still that mythologicalness about, you know, Mara the demon and he sits under the yeah. tree and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So does that... Would you say in Buddhism, people go, oh, that happened, or, oh, that's just the story? That's a good question. It depends on the school of Buddhism, and then more than the school of Buddhism, the culture that is coming through. Mm-hmm. Some cultures really get into <clears throat> that type of stuff, and some really don't. But in in Nichiren's Buddhism, and in, this is the form of Buddhism I practice, which is coming out of what they would call the lotus schools in Japan uh, of Buddhism, we don't believe Mara was a... It was not really about belief. But Mara is not a, a person. It's essentially the point is the Buddha, when he sat down with this determination to conquer himself, he is... He was a... He, Buddha. The Buddha wasn't a god, right? He was a person mm. tormented by the same things that we would be. And if you've ever... When you sit down for long periods of meditation... The stuff, the wildest thoughts come to you. I mean, it's basically like an army of demons come to you. Because what just starts to happen is that because you're just, you're sitting and you're either reflecting or whatever you're doing, uh, the, the state of your mind, the various conditions of your mind start to come to you. And in Buddhism, we say that there are 10 conditions of the mind from hell, from a state of intense suffering to Buddhahood, a state of realization. So that there are these 10 life conditions. They are mutually inclusive. So that's 10 times 10. And then there are 10, uh, what they would call 10 factors, which appearance, cognition, things like that. So it's 10 times 10 times 10, right? Now you're at 1,000. And then there are three realms. So I was under the impression there'd be no math. Always math. So that this is a concept that they call 
Ichinen, Sanzen, or 3,000 realms in a single moment of life. That's So the point is about Mara, is like there are some schools of Buddhism, like the Nichiren school, that would say that Mara was just the personification uh, within the Buddha's mind of the state of hell, um, which you have to go through to to really penetrate yourself. See, I've always wondered that. And my other thing But was, there are some schools who would say that Mara is an actual devil. And, right. You know, I don't I admittedly do not think that's a very intelligent right. thing. I do believe that there are uh, tons of beings out there in all kinds of ways, but that it's that's not really the point of what it's mm-hmm. getting at. I'm glad you said not really the point because I had this discussion again with my therapist. <laughs> who the therapist sounds cool. He's a good he guy. Cool. He's really cool, and he and um they have a whole. He has a whole yoga. We're trying to get him in here. He has a whole like <laughs> yoga center up upstate that he goes that he and his wife have, and it's he's just a good dude. And he's his whole thing is um you know therapy with a Buddhist bent. Uh-huh. <clears throat> I remember I was sitting in his office one day and there was a bug on the wall and he went, can you kill that real quick? And I went, it's not very Buddhist. And he went, you don't have to be Buddhist to be Buddhist. Word. And I was like, wow. I would agree. I don't understand nor understand that. So I was, was, um, once I had my kids, I remember reading something about Buddha and uh, I was thinking about the story and I forget how, you know, he leaves his wife and his child. Yeah. And when you have a kid, if you're inherently good, I guess, <laughs> the thought of that sickens me. Yeah. And I remember sitting there in his office and I went, so basically Buddha's just a deadbeat dad. Some would say. And that really bummed me out. Yeah. You know? And he said, that's not the point. Well, the Buddha named yeah. his son Rahula, right. which means a fetter or a bond. He named his child basically Ball and Chain. It's like he named his Damn. son Ball and Chain. <laughs> you know? And uh, I think the point you raise is is good, but there is there is no this is uh, obviously a debatable point, and I'm happy to have a debate about it, but there is no in a Buddha or Buddhist or a yogi or anything like that They've been sold to our culture as marketable ideas. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, but yogis live this way and Buddhists live this way. And, you know, the ideal woman has Lululemon pants on and a yoga mat walking down the street and doesn't get ruffled. And that's, I mean, that's cute if you can manage that. But <laughs> more importantly, we are human beings. And I, you know, it's often. So there is no set way of behaving. There is no, like, law of how to behave. But as to the point of the Buddha being a, essentially a dead be dead, I mean, people do it all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't, I don't mean, like, be dead be dead, but I mean have children or get a great job or any kind of thing that's supposed to be, like, that's supposed to be what we're trying to do. <clears throat> yeah, well, now I got the house. Now I'm happy, right? Wrong. If it's wrong, it's wrong, you know, and if if you reach the pinnacle of what you thought you were supposed to get and you and what's there is not what you thought would be there. I mean, we're free to to go on a search to really figure it out. Now, he didn't. He also this is the thing to understand, you know, the Buddha didn't leave his child in poverty. Yeah. I mean, the Buddha was they're not as wealthy as people. They were probably not as wealthy as people thought. They were probably just a little kind of like fiefdom essentially but 
you know, he was essentially a prince, and thus his son was well taken care of in the family. He was gone, but his I promise his son wanted for nothing. But there, that culture is different in that. In our culture, we have this sense of, of reification and permanency. Like, this is going to be my career the rest of my life. You know, this is why career transitions are so difficult for people. This is why everything that anytime something changes, everybody freaks out because we're like, no, this is like all my life I've wanted to be like a, a recording engineer. So now I have to do that and only that. And I, I wanted to get married and have children. But that culture... And it's hard to say anything general about any culture, but a, a running theme through through Indian culture and thought is that you're not you don't have to be stuck. And if you feel dissatisfied, which is dukkha, dukkha means to persistent discomfort and dissatisfaction, then you are perfectly free to go on a search. And try, and to go on a true search, you often have to leave, you know, a lot behind and step into that uncertainty. Not because it's like, you know, and like the new age thing, they're like, get uncomfortable. But it's because that is what will happen because it is uncomfortable to discover that what you thought was true is not true. Um, well, it's hard. It was really hard for me. It was a weird moment when I thought that. Cause like, wow. I, and yeah, he leaves him. But all, my first thought is that's just a kid without his dad around. And that's me, you know, putting mm-hmm. my own stuff out there yeah. because, you know, my dad was drafted in the military and I didn't really see him. You yeah. know what I mean? So it's what I'm bringing into it. You yeah. know what I mean? But you're, you're supposed to do that. Yeah. You know, to interact with, I like this, this dialogue flow we, we're now on <laughs> because the point of these stories is whether they actually happened and it's likely that it did or whether it didn't. It's the point is for you to enter into it. These are not things to accept as you could accept them as fact and truth, and that could be good enough, and people do that. But it's far more interesting to step into that realm and really be pissed off. And, you know, if it pisses you off and grapple with it, there's no way you should feel it's however you feel. And then you grapple with that. My, on, in a similar vein, like my grappling with with the Buddhist teaching was I was like, what if you don't feel life is suffering though? What if you, in your experience, it's not like some people, they don't feel that way, but that's also because of a poor translation of what dukkha means. Cause dukkha, it means suffering, but its connotation is dissatisfaction. Um, and it's actually the word dukkha is the word in ancient India for when a, the wheel of a cart wasn't properly aligned so you get this really bumpy, shaky, janky ride. That's dukkha. Just this. It's not like the horse just got shot or the buggy. Whatever happens. I don't know. In agricultural India. <laughs> whatever happens. It's not like it's not utter strife and tragedy. And I think that's what the thing that many people have a problem with in Buddhism is you know, it's this, this like almost pessimistic, pessimistic life is suffering. But what if, if you don't feel your life is suffering, then you... Obviously, you would think the basic premise of Buddhism is wrong, of Buddhism is wrong. But the premise is that life tends to have a persistent dissatisfaction underlying even great satisfaction. That so, what I'm saying is that that's what I grappled with. Like you grappled with the daddy mm-hmm. thing, um, and the Buddha did. And on the one hand, he left his son, he left his wife. But on the other hand, that makes him a hero because he, rather than suffer, rather than let them suffer. 
you know, he recognized something in himself and left to go fulfill that. And he eventually returned home, obviously not mm. to marry them or whatever, but he eventually returned home and accepted his son into the Sangha and, and this kind of thing. So, you know, when you grapple with these things, it's like we are bringing ourselves to the table because there is, it's not an objective thing. It's not meant to be. It's not meant to be like this book you open and it's just like, I accept this story. Mm-hmm. Ah. <laughs> Which a lot of like uncritical new age p- fools do. <laughs> you know, ah, it's the, the greatest. They go around quoting it and doesn't know. Well, that's the easiest thing to do. Yeah. You know, the quotable Buddha. Most people like to go the easiest route possible. Yes. They find their thing and take it as rote. Yeah. Um, they want somebody to tell them everything. They don't want to think. That's how I feel about nutrition. Mm hmm. <laughs> Just tell me. I mean, it would be great if you could do that with anything, but nothing. Just tell me what to eat and what to do. Seriously. You know, it is a a similar vein, but Mm. it is an interesting thing to grab. I actually never thought about the Buddha as a dead be dead. Now I'm going through it in my mind. I'm like, yeah, I guess you could say that. (laughs) But there's also a dude that, you know, changed the tide of Indian history Mm. by, by being an innovator and committed to not engaging in. Almost at the expense of followers, he was thoroughly committed to not engaging in metaphysical arguments. Um, I mean, we're talking about the Buddha like he's my best friend, Bo. But he, you know what I mean? But he was, he just thought like philosophical speculation and metaphysical, you know, engaging in pointless metaphysics like you would do in any given college class is useless because the Buddha's thought was, does it help you? Does it not? Do you know? And that's a measurable, proven thing. Either you're being helped or you're not. And that, you know, he's radical in that sense. And he did radical things, you know. I, I was I was curious. Uh, I, I Googled you before this. Cause I was like, I'll do some research and it'll be either Ralph doing asana or like translating Sanskrit. And it was all this stuff about the Kardashians, <laughs> which was literally the last thing on the planet I expected. <laughs> And then all these interviews about people being like, what? The yoga community is mad at you. Like all this stuff. I mean, uh, just really quickly, I was curious, like Mm -hmm. how, how that came about and how that kind of figured into your path, I guess. This this needs some unpacking. It's just, it's just, it's just. What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) The Buddha straight to the Kardashians. <laughs> the Buddha was the first naked here. Awesome. <laughs> no, what happened was I, I'll, I'll give a brief summary and then I'll answer his question. <laughs> there was a, the Kardashians were looking for, or their producer or something was looking for. Uh, there they had heard about naked yoga, which I do not teach. I do not get involved in. Apparently, it's this thing in Chelsea. I don't know. But they were looking for as they're like Chelsea Shocker <laughs> as this New York season premiere thing they were doing to have a yoga teacher, and then they I guess thought it would be a good idea if it was naked or something. Just I guess maybe for Shock Valley, I have no idea. And there was an email that was passed through around a group of teachers, you know, that they had emailed, and I replied. And I guess maybe I was the only one who said yes because I was who they picked. <laughs> And I just went in and did it. But afterwards, the yoga community, and I was I was naked on this show, and afterwards, the yoga community, some in the yoga community were like, you know, up in arms about it. And many people were like, oh, this, this degrades yoga and all that nonsense. But, uh, so, 
Uh, but to your point is how the my were you asking my response to the yeah basically i was just curious the, how that figured into your whole kind of philosophy it you know i can do whatever i want yeah that's the way i feel to be perfectly honest <laughs> you know i if i choose to accept a job doing something that i make a choice to do that's what i choose to do and so the yoga community or various people can be as up in arms as they choose to be. And I'm happy to have a debate with somebody. I mean, I'm really into dialogue, debate, and I'm willing to have an an argument, dialogue, whatever about it. But what was, what was their beef? I'm confused. Like they didn't want you going on a TV show to do they, yoga. They, you know, people were like, I, oh, it's a, it's a, uh, uh, to real yoga. It's like a. A kick in the face to real yoga. It's like degrade. It's so demeaning and degrading. Isn't, isn't the fact that yoga is over here on this side of the world a kick in the face to real yoga? Some would say. <laughs> Some would say. Uh, there are many who would say. You know, there are tons of arguments that could be made about who the yoga belongs to, what's real yoga. And I admittedly have engaged in a, in a what real yoga argument before. But my argument is always based on the yogic text and... Uh, so whenever I make a claim about what real yoga is, to the extent that we can know what's real about something that's two, three thousand years old, I I would I reference some kind of text and I'm clear about what I'm referencing. But people were all upset about that, and then there were some people like, "Oh, my yoga teacher is naked," and, blah, 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 and that's embarrassing. Uh, I feel like, to be perfectly honest, you know, is I have no reason to lie, <laughs> is that I feel like. I look good. People claim there are people who who believe that I am a good yoga teacher and I do my job. I study yoga and I practice yoga to the best of my abilities as I was taught. And as long as I'm true to that, I can be in my underwear, I could be not, I could be wearing all lululemon, I could be wearing a tracksuit, sweatsuit as long as I'm true to what I'm doing. That's my feeling about it. And other people had other opinions about it. And my my diplomatic response to them is, yeah, let's talk about it. But my real response, the way I truly feel about it is, if, you do, if you're not into that kind of thing, you don't go do it. Period. But, but it seems like you, especially there is like a lot of these new age philosophies mm-hmm. kind of that have kind of worked their way into yoga in the West. Mm-hmm. And I feel like very true. you mm, very true. are such an example of someone who like doesn't go along with that stuff. No, not and at all. Really, I mean, has, has that been kind of a struggle to kind of keep your own voice and not kind of, or is that something you kind of pride yourself with? That's, that's a good question. Uh, so basically whether you're asking whether I find it difficult to maintain a traditionalist view yeah, because I feel diluted like it would be easier to be like, yeah, everything's great, everything's positive, the world is amazing. Yeah, like the kind of new age view. Yes, you know, bliss bunnies. Yes, uh, <laughs> I think. I mean, you could do that, <laughs> but I don't find it difficult to keep my my own view because I, I'm a practitioner first, and I do my practice, and I and I have my own views and my own study. And I'm just not swayed by other things. But, 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 I think, you know, like I said, we've we've been sold such a vision. You know, that yogis are all about love and it's everything's all about love. And it, the world doesn't work that way. You know, there is good and evil in this world. There are people who don't, there are people, places and things, some would say, that do not mean well by you. There are things that, like trees 
which trees don't care about you. You just happen to benefit from its process. Word. You know, you you just happen to benefit. And if you didn't, tree wouldn't care. It's still going about doing its thing. There are people who are people placing things that are work work for you that are on your side and there are people placing things that are not it's not all good and the yoga teachings true yoga teachings is about what is what is directly occurring in the now not me not meaning some foolish obliviousness to a past to your path and some blind head down charge ahead into the future but a direct realistic perception of what is occurring and why and a deep analysis you know there's this like new age thing of like oh you know i just i feel i don't think i feel i don't don't be so analytical this kind of stuff and it's no yoga true yoga true buddhist practice true yoga is to sharpen the instrument so that your finely tuned awareness can be brought to bear on anything any time, any place, anywhere. Isn't the whole point of yoga to the uh, the I'm going to call them moves because I can't think of the name. And who awesome. Cares? That would be it. <laughs> I took a yoga class in Santa Monica once. Uh, this guy who didn't use any of the terminology and the way he spoke was hilarious. And I took a couple of classes. He'd be like, "Hands on the floor, butt cheeks in the air." <laughs> <laughs> and while you're doing this stuff, he was, it was really intense. And at the end of it, he went, "And if you have any problems, or if you possibly hurt yourself because you're not doing it right, and you want to take action against me, it's going to be really hard for you to sue a donation box." The guy was hilarious. That must have been Brian Kess. Might have been. Sounds like Brian. He's Kess. so funny. He killed me. He just lived in a back room in the studio. It was great. That's cool. A friend of mine took me there. Um, but the, aren't the, all the movements of yoga like to get? your body and brain to a point to meditate is that some would say some would say that is the the tradition it's asanas for meditation i like when you say someone say means i don't (laughs) (laughs) that is a very diplomatic way to say i don't i I, I like that you caught that (laughs) i i'm very wary of people say you know claiming what the point is because it's not a homogenous thing. There are different points to different th- actions. There are different reasons for doing different things. Asana, if you you can meditate, let me just make this perfectly clear. Because there's this common thing in modern like yoga that you need to be able to do all these complex positions to meditate. And there's this common idea that meditation thus means stilling the mind. Neither of those things are true. That is one meaning of meditation. It's not the only meaning. And then if you read through the text, that's not even the main meaning. That's not even the meaning at all used. These asanas in hatha yoga, let's talk about hatha yoga because that is generally hatha yoga is a, historically is a later simplification of Various tantric schools in India. It's H A T H A, right? H A T H A is yoga. It, you're pronouncing it correctly. Though. Yes, <laughs> it's hatha yoga. That's what you say when you exhale. It is. <laughs> it actually—it's funny he says that. I had like four yoga classes. Ta huh? is the sound of the exhale, and ha is the sound of the inhale, and hatha means the unification of opposite. See, I thought you were being dicky. I was super smart. Yeah, I'm just I'm like the you know I'm like the the naive yoga guy here. I've used, I just use it to stretch out. Yeah, so. well, word. Why not? I mean, <laughs> that's like at the very minimum. What, what and uh, you know, if that's all you want, that's all you need. I 
when hatha yoga, the point of hatha yoga and all these physical practices is to get the the energy system of your body to harmonize, to get it to function so that so that the tensions and kinks are worked out because it's very difficult to meditate when there are tensions and kinks because instead of going to the object you're trying to focus on your mind goes to the tensions and kinks you could use it just to get toned you could use it just to stretch out and that and it works you, you know who and who really cares but it is a path that there are it is not one path it fits into different paths and worldviews and uh, so the point for some people for some schools of thought the point is to be able to get your body to not be an obstruction in deeper states of meditation there are some schools where the the point is just to get a good body there are some schools that believe that the point of all these physical yoga practices is to achieve immortality you know how's that going pretty wide range for me it doesn't i don't know that await that remains to be seen. I plan to live to one seventeen. Wow. So am I Do you have that in your family? No, not at all. Okay. I'm gonna blaze the path and be buck wild. All right. <laughs> to to live that long do you have to take in a minimum amount of like calories and isn't that the deal? If people That's live a people long say. time, they don't eat very much. Some people say that. Dude, I'm halfway there. Um <laughs> To age well, well, this is what they generally say. To age well, you have to slow down your metabolism. Mm-hmm. To lose weight, you have to speed up your metabolism. So that's hence the phrase, you know, they, they, that expression, as you get older, you have to make a choice between the ass or the face. And that's really what they're, that's because. <laughs> that's, I've never heard that expression. That's, that's what she like said. It's a great expression. But it, what, it's, what it's getting at is, is that to age well, you have to speed up your, you have to slow down your metabolism. Mm-hmm. But to lose weight, you have to speed it up. So you, you tend to have to make a choice. Um, so if I want to live forever, I'm going to stay on the path I'm at. But if I want my gut to go away, I'm depriving my children of having a grandfather. Well, thank you for helping me out. <laughs> I try. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just, I'm where in the point, the basic point I want to make on a more serious point is that just I'm, whenever somebody, it's like, it's like advertising. It really is like, you know, a commercial. If they're trying to tell you to buy the milk because of something that's in it, probably means you shouldn't buy the milk. <sighs> You know what I mean? Because they don't care about you. Mm. And I don't mean that in any kind of negative way. I don't mean any kind of conspiratorial way. I mean, why should they? They don't care about you. Why should they? But, you know, it's up to us to take it into our own hands and make our own intelligent decisions based upon good information, you know? And there's nobody coming. This is because our culture, this Western you know, messiah, messiah complex culture of like this, somebody's going to come and give me the right knowledge or somebody's going to come and save me. Oh, you know, my doctor will do it for me. I'll, I'll eat shit all, all the days of my life and then my doctor will fix me. I, you know, there's always surgery. There's a, a lifetime of misery and depression, but Botox will pick my face up for me. You know, it's this messiah thing and it's Buddhism. We were talking about, you know, this putting the onus on you. Buddhism throws that away and says that nobody comes into your life and and changes your life for you. You do it. You 
make better decisions. You get better information. You make it your point because it's not New York Post's job to get to, you know, they may say that it is and they, all that stuff, but it's really no one's job to like pull your life up for you. You know what I mean? To make you make better decisions. I have yoga students who like, I know, but I have <laughs> yoga students who are just like, you know, I tell them what to do. I tell them how to do it. And then they don't do it. And then they come to me, oh, my shoulder hurts. Can you fix it for me? You know, can you, how do I fix my shoulder? And I will like, Jonah knows. I'll point blankly look at them and say, well, by doing what I told you to do. It worked. My shoulder no longer hurts. Yeah, yeah. there we go. It's true. He testified to my glory. It's yes. true. No. <laughs> um, but... So I'm just weary of any kind of shoulds or oh, mm-hmm. you aren't yogi supposed to. Blah, 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 blah. I was just, I was curious. I had heard that, but again, yeah. uh, I know. There I only usually know people who don't know what they're talking about who say that. I only know a lot peripherally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a little bit to keep a little bit to keep a conversation going. It helps. Yeah. But um, no, I took yoga a lot in California, uh-huh. and I enjoyed it. But it got to a point where one, I couldn't physically do it because just the way I was born, I can't do downward dogs because my arms pop out of their sockets. Oh my. And it's annoying and it's painful and it sucks. Um, my brother has it worse. His just do it when he's just hanging out. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, the, the scientific term would be double jointed, but it's just like, look, there it is now. Bam. Oh, that's how yeah. it works. So I do that too long. So then I'm putting all the weight on my heels. Yeah. So I was taking this yoga class and this yoga teacher who is what I'm going to clarify is what I call the annoying yoga teacher uh-huh. where he, didn't read the level of the class. And if you're going to do a headstand and you know that most people can't do it, don't do that. Yeah. Help out, dude. Give me Indeed. a break. I feel um, that. But he's he showing off. Yeah, yeah, exactly was showing off because yeah. I saw the girls that were in the front. Um, <laughs> and he kept saying, you know, he would make references to yoga and ballet and yoga and ballet. Mm-hmm. And I grew up as a ballet dancer when I was a kid. Mm. I had to say grow up and as a kid in the same sentence. I was stupid. Um, so I was like, you know, screw this. I'm going to go find a ballet studio. Yeah. And I did, and I started doing more of that. And I started thinking a lot about it, and the, it's very similar in a lot of respects. In some ways, yeah. yeah. You know, we were just talking about this the other day. We were just like. talking about this the other day. Because you can tell a dancer body, and you can tell a yoga body, the people that, as you say, which I practice. Um, you know? Indeed. They are similar in many a way. They're also very different, because yoga has a... These are, what's different you know, in our culture is that a lot of our yoga is out of context, Mm-hmm. Admittedly, a lot of these asanas, these positions of the body, pranayamas, uh, breath control patterns, a lot of these meditations, even, you know, all the stuff that's been appropriated is a little bit out of context. These things traditionally mm-hmm. have various religions and worldviews as their context. So you wouldn't go around just like doing. Uh, you know, doing a, this back bend or that bend, you would do that back bend for the purpose as told to you by the worldview you're following, and it's going to further you in some kind of way. It 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 fits in into its context. Out of context <laughs> in our culture, you know, when people are just chanting things, they have no idea what it says, and they that because it's an industry. Nah. And I don't, I'm not criticizing them; I'm just saying call call a spade a spade. It's it's an industry has built up around something and the way to do that is to strip it of it of of its specific characteristics give it broad appeal right so take yoga out of it's you know they're not allowed to be just indian enough to be exotic enough for people to do it but not not so indian that it freaks like 
bow in in missouri out you know what i mean or something like that so when you went to india did you i mean were you going there to find like it yoga in its purest form no i went to because there was a teacher there named patabi joyce and now his grandson who is now the lineage holder named shrat joyce uh they have a, a, a center called the krishna patabi joyce ashtanga yoga institute in mysore india and i went to study there I went to study. A, yeah, I mean, there was a little bit of, well, go back to the source kind of thing. But it was really just, it's super nice to go into like a retreat. Mm-hmm. Although that wasn't a retreat. But it's the same idea of, of spending a focused time studying something without distractions of daily life. There's a, I mean, t- the Tibetan Buddhists have a practice of going into retreat, you know, periods of retreat to really hone in their practice. So that's why I went to really hone in my practice and ashtanga yoga is one of those styles where it it requires a daily discipline and you know and the first thing we say like as like my ashtanga peers the first thing we say when we encounter each other have you been practicing or how's your practice going it's usually the first thing they'll say we're not interested in like just philosophical speculations and things like that it's are you are you doing the work are you practicing so someone says no i've practiced enough i've got it you say bullshit no such thing yeah you what, never practice yeah. enough. What advice would you maybe have to someone who's listening who like maybe practices once in a while or it's not a serious part of their life? I mean, do you think make it a serious part of their life? Okay. <laughs> make time for it. Make space. If it's worth if if there's something worth doing. I mean, I'm not one of those I'm not the kind of you've been in my yoga class before. I'm not the kind of teacher who's going to play play around and be like i mean i play it a lot in classes everybody knows that but i'm not the kind of teacher who's going to play around and be like uh you know a couple times a week is good enough that that's true it's good enough hmm. it's not going to get you anywhere real it's not going to get you any more flexible it's not going to get you any stronger it's not going to help you meditate but it's good it is good enough you know and for you know for people who like to be good enough fine and you can make that decision you could say you know that this is as much as i want from it as much as I'm getting from it is what I want from it. But my advice, if you really want to do it, anything that's worth doing is going to take some kind of time. Getting a degree is going to take four years, it, ten years now. You know, it's, and it's going to cost you a lot of depth and all that stuff. But, you know, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing. Now, can so. you do the other forms? Like, because there's what? There's a shtanga. You said it's a shtanga. Hatha. What's kind of, Iyengar. All Iyengar. of these schools of yoga are mostly Hatha yoga just means any kind of yoga that uh, has as its object a a process of unifying opposites, like opposite energy patterns, okay. they would say, right? Basically, any kind of yoga that is has as its purpose affecting the chemical structure of your body, that could be termed as hatha yoga. Um, so I know you'll see on a studio schedule sometimes like basic Hatha class, but know that that doesn't mean anything at all. It, it really doesn't uh, because most of the scholars of yoga we're talking about include Hatha yoga within them. There's Ashtanga yoga, there's Iyengar yoga, Ashtanga and Iyengar yoga, Ashtanga, Iyengar, and something called Vini yoga. They come from the same root, a teacher in South India named Sri T. Krishnamacharya. Um, <coughs> He is kind of like the grandfather of modern yoga in many ways. He he developed a lot of the innovations and synthesis that we are now doing around the world. But there's but then there are other things like integral yoga in Chelsea or something like that. Just different styles, a ton of different styles. I don't do them, mm. but people do. 
I don't I don't like to dabble. I do Ashtanga yoga and I do Iyengar yoga. I take I have a great Iyengar teachers and I use some of that influence, but I am an Ashtanga yoga teacher. Um I try and teach as best as I can with what I've been given. <laughs> you know, I'm I hesitate to say I teach a traditional Ashtanga yoga because that doesn't really mean anything. But I do teach Ashtanga yoga in the tradition of Sri K. Patabi Joyce, and that is now continued by his grandson, Sharat Joyce. And I don't generally get involved with other styles of yoga. Are there people that teach, like, you know, the, tra- I mean, I don't even know, like, traditional, like, like did, did yoga, like, where, did it come out from, like, the aesthetics to, like, how did, like, What's the history? <laughs> That's a great question. Whenever you study historical things in India, it's always a little sh- shrouded in mystery. You never really know whether you're dealing with facts or, or myth. But Because they lie. <laughs> I love you. Just want to get people. back to that. Just let me, just let me put out there. I know. No. Just buy a map is what you're saying. <laughs> because they are, uh, you know, they're different kinds of, Lots of different ideas, and this all depends on like what idea you follow as to like where Vedic culture in India came from, where Vedic civilization arose out of. But what we do know is that in the Vedas, and the uh, particularly the Rig Veda, which is the oldest, uh, the oldest text, the oldest scripture in the Indo-European languages that we know of, is the oldest Veda called the Rig Veda. Does Veda mean book? That... Veda means knowledge. Knowledge, yeah. got it. Okay. means knowledge. Like Ayurveda, have you ever heard of that medicine? That nope. would mean like the science of life or something like that. So the Rig Veda, um, and there are references in the Rig Veda to like kind of wild, long-haired sages. And there's breath control is there because they, they would measure out their breath to be able to recite for long th- periods and do sacrifices and things like that. But it's not the word yoga means to unite to yoke something that's where we get the english word yoke so it means to like and it's originally the term for yoking a cart to a horse to an, an animal is that's a that yoke is yoga that union between the two things the word yoga meaning some kind of s- psychophysical technology doesn't seem to come about until a branch of Vedic knowledge called the Upanishads. Um, And Upanishad means a secret connective teaching. And it's in, I believe, the Kata Upanishad that the word yoga is first explicitly used to mean some state of mind control. Uh, But it's generally thought that there were two streams. There's the Orthodox and what they call the Shramanas, like the Buddha was a shramana. They're basically the buck wild aesthetic, aesthetic hippies. Right. You know, they're going around, they're <clears throat> standing on their head, long hair, loincloth, the whole thing. But Buddha left that. Like Siddhartha left that. Left the, well, the Buddha, well, Siddhartha and, you know, the Buddha, like Siddhartha and Herman Hesse's novel is, is right. a little, obviously fictional. Right. But it is based on the life of the Buddha. The Buddha stepped out of his own culture and into the shramanic stream. He became a wandering ascetic and practiced uh, intense ascetic discipline and austerity and then gave that up. That's true. But you, technically, they were still, they were basically the Buddhist order but it was like a, a branch off the shramana tree. Um, and there's some yoga, a lot of yoga seems to have come out of that kind of culture because they really developed 
you know, the meditation and things like that. Because there's this interesting movement in Indian in Indian religious thought or in Indian philosophical thought from doing ritual to concentrating while doing ritual to that concentration becoming a very intense state of meditative ecstasy while doing a ritual to meditation, the the concentrated ecstasy, samadhi, taking place of the ritual. So it's an interesting movement from doing, doing, doing to knowing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Of course, in my head, you said samadhi, and I was like, oh, yeah, like that live record. That secret samadhi. <laughs> that's where exactly where my head went for a second. I'm like, that's where I know that word. Now I know what it means. I didn't think to look that up when I heard that record. What a dipshit. Um, uh, my follow up. Um, where are you? And you said you, you were really into religion, uh, Christianity, and and Catholicism. Yeah, I split them up because um, uh, they have Mary. Um, they do have Mary. I know. Uh, that's what my mom would always say to my dad. Can't get to heaven through Mary. <laughs> my dad would be like, what? <laughs> um, fun. <laughs> I, w- I remember uh, as a kid, um, uh, I think, you know, Brad and I were talking about this. You have that moment as a kid where you're just like, I think this is bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Um, I call like, bullshit. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, like, so you're telling me Santa's not real, but walking on water, oh, hold, hold the phone. Mm-hmm. Which is frightening because it happened to me so young that I still thought adults knew everything. And yep. I'm like, what you're telling me doesn't make sense. <laughs> I'm fucking like seven years old. and Now what? Yeah. Now I'm bummed. <laughs> and then we wonder why our children grow up confused as hell about yeah. life. But the, I remember finding, you know, the... Um, you know, in a bookstore, just getting really into it and reading the the Gnostic texts. Mm-hmm. You know, where it's yeah. like it's yeah. like Jesus goes from around six to thirty, yeah. <laughs> a little bit. In the meantime, like this is what happened. You know, yeah, you know, if that's what happened. But um, I've heard people say, you know, Jesus was a Buddha, and there's a story that he uh, that he went th- in, that he went to yeah. India. Love that story. Yeah, because you figure, you know, there's there's other texts. There's um, you know, like like Hammurabi's um. Not Sam Robbie's lot. Who the the guy? There, there's other historical texts referencing Jesus as a real person, or or the name being taken followers of. You know, yeah. So there's a distinct possibility, but I love the idea that whoever this um, uh, supposed just caring, peaceful guy mm-hmm. um, uh, who didn't like who knocked over benches in a church, he wasn't into that. Um, <laughs> he didn't like money lenders. Interesting how people forget about that. <laughs> Money yeah. lenders specifically. Well, that's the problem. <clears throat> this selective, you know, yeah. selective <clears throat> belief. Like, you know, yeah. So he he preached about his brethren and his people. Yet some brethren don't count, mm-hmm. or that he, you know, he was very anti like shoddy dealings in the church. In fact, you could almost make the claim that Jesus was anti synagogue slash church. Period. Because he said, better you pray alone in your closet. But, you know, nobody gets into that. Um, There's a lot they don't get into. There's a lot they don't get into. Because it would take intelligence to grapple with. But So when is there a time period that Buddha was supposed to have been alive? Yeah. They generally think that the Buddha lived in the 5th or the 4th century before the Common Era. Uh, He predates Jesus. Okay. But we tend to think of ancient cultures in terms of modern geography. That's problematic because ancient 
India was a stretched a long way and vice versa and so then these the territories that jesus were in their reach the reach of those territories extended beyond what we think of as those places so jesus i i highly doubt i just want to put it on record and say i highly doubt jesus went to india but that that and is in no way important because there is there's no reason he wouldn't have had access to the teachings and they to him not not the Buddha, obviously him and the Buddha are at different historical time period. So I'm not saying, but Jesus quite possibly and most likely had access to not only Buddhist thought and teachings, but Upanishadic thought and teachings and vice versa. They would have had access to this stuff. It's not a huge stretch. And they were trade there were trade routes and more than just good there was exchange of goods and ideas. So Jesus didn't have to go to India to to get to know what's going on over there in the same way that i don't even before the internet i didn't necessarily have to go to france to hear about what what was the what over there you see what i'm saying Mm -hmm. what i thought was interesting was we were talking about that karen armstrong book the other day Mm -hmm. about buddha and in the preface she's basically like we don't know that much about what his life was really like almost nothing yeah which was interesting jesus or the buddha yeah or any of them which which makes which, according to Buddhist thought and teaching, that makes any kind of reification and any kind of dogmatic holding on to to aspects of the Buddha inherently ridiculous. You know, know almost nothing about him. Almost, we barely know. We don't even know when he lived. We 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 just barely know. We just barely beyond a shadow of doubt. No, Obje- I'm talking about objectively. So mm. know that whether he exists or not. Same with Jesus and Posse. Mm. So <laughs> any kind of like claims, like oh, I was the Buddha and the Buddha this and but even we say Posse the Buddha- was the singular of a Posse. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so. It's weird. a posse. <laughs> the, uh, the Jesus and the Posse. You know, it's like. <laughs> Any kind of like Jesus said or the Buddha said, no, a group of writings said really is what you need to say. Because even the oldest layer or what some would say would claim to be the oldest layer of Buddhist thought, the Pali Canon and the teachings Mm -hmm. that occur in the Pali Canon and some of which is supposed to be a direct record of what the Buddha said. And they all start, thus have I heard, you know, thus have I heard that at such and such a time the world out one was residing xyz well the first thing is thus have i heard <laughs> i had heard that the buddha had said it's basically my friend john said about jonah who said that paul said who said that barbara said that when she was at the back of the auditorium you know the buddha said xyz well that's that's the definition of religion it's just a giant game of telephone indeed and so while I think religion is great, I'm obviously a deeply religious person. Why I think it help while I think it helps a lot of people, without intelligence, you're you're a short, short cry from being a fool. Because, you know, that that makes no sense. Like you're saying, Santa can't can't possibly make it around the world at night. But this dude can. Well, what makes this dude special? And especially when in in the Bible, in the Bible, <laughs> Jesus said, you know, what he said, this 
all this and then some you shall do. You will do this and then some. You know, when, they, when they're like mesmerized at his like, wiggity, 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 at his powers, he's like, oh, don't be blown away. This you too will do and then you'll do even more than this. What is that translation of the loaves and the fishes story? Where he was like, all of a sudden, everybody had some. Yeah. And the story, you know, the basic is, well, all of a sudden, people started sharing. Yeah. Because he was like, come on. Yeah. Assholes. <laughs> Get it together. You I have imagine, some. They don't. Figure it out. I imagine Jesus being like, <laughs> Get it together, damn it. But I do want to make this point, though, because here's something that I think is very interesting. Is that... In India, there, in Indian thought, there's a lot of, especially the Upanishads, the Upanishads are all about this, homologies, like this is that, is that, is that. Like this, you know, your eye is the sun. Your eye, you know, homologizing like parts of the, of the human microcosm with the, the mac, cosmic macrocosm. Jesus does a very similar thing in almost every teaching that he gives. Like he says, you know, like, if you actually think you're drinking Jesus' blood, that's a little questionable. That's a little creepy. But what Jesus does say is, take this bread, for it is my body. Homology. Drink this wine. You know, drink this, for it is my blood. Homology. You know. And the that ritual act, stepping into the ritual arena, has certain benefits but when you start to reify it, when you start to, you know, dogmatize it, if you will, the way like church, religion, people do, then you're, you by definition lose the spirit of the teachings because a homology is not a literal fact. The, you know, they're just not. They're not. And a homology is a homology. Right. Because it, it is creepy if it's fact. It is creepy <laughs> if it's... I mean, you could drink blood and that's cool. But... That's but, a different religion. Yeah, but, <laughs> but what he's getting at, you know, is this homology. But basically, step into this most Mahayana Buddhist text, right? So the great, the great school of Buddhism called the Mahayana school of Buddhism. Uh, you know, a lot of their texts are buck wild. I mean, they're just like, there's one, at least you should look into this, called uh, the Lotus Sutra. And in chapter 11, it's the emergence of the treasure tower and the ceremony in the air. And the Buddha raises this assembly of like a trillion beings up into the sky and like expands the land and gives like his most profound teaching. It's buck wild. You know, and really, and it's, it's saying step into this arena. So it's saying drop your, drop your ordinary sense of reality. In favor of stepping into a very different realm where suddenly there is an there is infinite possibility. It's like going from Newton to quantum physics, you know, which is like a ridiculous shift. You mean like the table's not a table? Have you read the quantum and the lotus? I have not. Somebody was just I brought it up. Jo- I asked him about the other day, and I, I am going to get it from the library because that. I mean, this is this is what these texts are asking you to make a quantum leap. And thought, why? Because therein, therein the ritual lies its efficacy. Just like marriage. It's just like marriage. What makes standing in a room, like your bedroom, and committing to someone categorically different from adding a ring, a ceremony, a certificate, this whole thing to it? Ritual. The context. And ritual places your mind 
in a very specific context, thereby making the content you drop into it that much richer, that much more important. You see what I'm saying? It's the stepping out of your ordinary. Yeah, you could commit to some. I commit to my girlfriend. Word. You could commit to somebody just standing on the balcony, and that's cool. But the act of having witnesses, the act, I mean, this is the whole thing in, in the Christian church. You know, I testify. I need a, a, somebody to testify to the glory of Jesus. That's even what they say when you go to Baptist church and they say, we're going to have a testification from Deacon Jones. Mm-hmm. You know, and he comes up and he testifies to the glory of Jesus in his life because you need a witness because the act of if it just happens in a forest by itself doesn't count. People think that's a big joke. Can I get a witness? But that means something. It does. Can yeah. I get a witness? Yeah. It, it means in, in, you know, and yogis are a little too, modern yogis, are a little too freeform in their thought. Like, whatever nonsense I made up by reading Eckhart Tolle and, uh, you know, some, like, random silly modern yoga book, whatever nonsense I've come up in my head with, it's justified because it's all good and it's all valid. And, you know, this is kind of nonsense like that. And it's like, and then nobody can verify it. And they're like, yeah, it is. And if you say you're enlightened being, who am I to judge? I am categorically somebody to judge. You need to have a witness. And what did the Buddha do? We're talking about the Buddha. We're talking about the Buddha. What did the Buddha do upon conquering Mara, upon reaching the final go in the third watch of the night, when he finally has this panoptic vision of, of human suffering and the way life works. What does he do? What is Mara? What is the devil's final ploy? His final trick, the devil says, well, great. So you've attained the goal. Cool, Buddha man. I even call you Buddha myself. But nobody saw it. Who's going to believe you? This is what he said. The devil says to him, he doubt, right? But who's going to believe you? And what does the Buddha do? He does what they call Sparsha Mudra which means the, the touching gesture. He t- reaches his right hand down and he touches the earth. And he says, the earth will be my witness. You must have a witness. And so doing a little like seance in your bathroom <laughs> doesn't count, right? <laughs> you know, just like zoning out and then claiming to be an enlightened being like some teachers do doesn't count. There must be witnesses. Must be witnesses. And so the act of having witnesses, of having a particular context, how anticlimactic would it be if the Buddha was just like, you know, if the, if the Buddha was just, if the Jesus was always just walking on water, if the Buddha was just like, oh, I was using the bathroom and an insight came to me. There'd be no religion based off of that. Or would there? <laughs> no, well, probably now because we're such a, you know, voyeuristic v- culture. plenty of insights in the bathroom. Same, actually. <laughs> Same. But, I mean, I, we won't go there. But I'm just saying, you know, you add the story. What does mythology do? You add the story. You add, set me a scene. If I tell you my greatest insight, and I, and I said, Jonah, Yona, I said, Jonah, this is what happened. I was walking down the street, and I scratched my ass, and it all came to me. Yeah, it would sound cool. It would be interesting. It wouldn't be nothing to live his life by, though. But if I then say that on the basis of concentrating, on the basis of getting my moral life together, of being a good father, of being a good mother, you know, I add the story. I fill in the context for him. And then I say, and what I now know to be true, what I now know to be true is is children 
or or enlightened beings inherently. If I were to say that to you, and I have no children, you're older than I am, I have no children, I have no context for which to say this, is, are you going to take that advice and raise a child? I hope not. <laughs> but if you were to tell me the same thing, now vice versa, in a particular context in a ritual, that automatically changes the nature of the content. Automatically changes the nature of the content. Thus I have heard. Yes. One last thing I was wondering, could you talk really quickly about the John Campbell um, oh, yes. thing you're setting up? Because uh, we should talk about that. Yes. <laughs> I am the director of the Mysore Ashtanga Yoga program at Go Yoga in Williamsburg. Um, and uh, June, the second weekend of June, June 7th through 9th, my teacher, a great scholar and practitioner, Dr. John Campbell, um, Dr. John Campbell will give a workshop entitled The Meditative Practices of Ashtanga Yoga and Buddhist Teachings. And it will be a three-day, five-part workshop. Friday night, which is June 7th, Friday night. Two sessions on Saturday, June 8th, and two sessions on Sunday, June 9th. And you can sign up for that by going to the Go Yoga website. I highly recommend. He will touch on this and then some. He will take you from point A to point B. He will lead you to the highest place. Yes. And I should mention that also, June 8th, we will be doing our second live podcast at yes. Union Hall. And you can do both because his ends at 530 and ours doesn't start till like 730. So if your mind okay. is at peace. Yeah. And you are feeling good about yourselves. You can watch the four of us get drunk in front of an audience and talk. Wonderful. <laughs> like the last thing, can I just say, though? Absolutely. Now that we've said all that, I want to <laughs> say to people, because I think this is an important point, is that you are not required to really, because I am a yoga teacher, um, I, and I'm a Buddhist, and I want people to do both things, because they work, and every little bit helps, that you're not required to be any kind of way. You come as you are and go as you please. In the process, hopefully you learn something. But you can go out. You can be free. You can do the things you want to do. There's no authority. You know, we have to, I want, I really want people to get out of this. To rather to stop applying a messiah complex to a culture where it doesn't belong. Because yogic and Buddhist teachers are not about some person, place, or thing coming to save you and telling you what to do and giving you the rule book. It's about directly perceiving the nature of your life, how things work, and then letting the rules come about naturally. Because when you, for a perfect example, nobody has to tell you to not kill I mean, somebody should. That's a good idea. But if you understand the importance of life, the sanctity of life, and you value your own life and the lives of other people, it's not a huge leap to not kill it. It's, it's not a huge leap. It just takes a little bit of insight. Booyah! <laughs> Mr. Ralph Craig, everything you want to know about Buddhism and yoga, but we're afraid to ask. I learned a lot. Actually, I've been wanting to ask someone else about Buddha about the um, uh, the deadbeat dad thing. Yeah, he actually had a really good answer for that. Yeah, because it's. I, I guess it does point that point out that everybody is fallible, and that Buddha was a person. So they say. Thus, I have heard. That is true. 
I feel like I have to go back and actually listen to this podcast again. It's kind of like I heard everything, but there was so much good info in there. I'll let it sink in. And you can tell he's a teacher. Yeah. And the way he pushed it. It must be so interesting taking a class with him. Yeah, he is um, super knowledgeable, but really intense. Really? Yeah. I mean, he's... Like, does it hurt? Um, sometimes. Mm. Does he... But he does moves that you can follow. Like, he's not going to like... He knows... He does moves to the level of the class you're in. Like, because you've been doing yoga for a while now, so you can do some crazy... It's... it's yeah. Uh, they're called postures. Mm. <laughs> and it's a, it's a specific sequence mm. that he talked about studying with... Kepatabi Joyce, and that's sort of the guy who created. Why are they called posture? Shit, I wish I'd asked that. It's okay. We can have him back anytime. But yeah, he's a he's a great teacher, and everyone should take class with him, and everyone should go to the John Campbell Workshop. Yes, at Go Yoga in Brooklyn, June seventh through ninth, and everyone should come to our live podcast on June eighth after the workshop. Everyone. And if you're listening to this, you can get tickets for both of them. Yeah, tickets are on sale right now for everything. Uh, we'll have links up on our Facebook page. If we don't already, I believe we do. Facebook.com slash going off track. Uh, we'll put it up on our website in the often updated news section of our oh, site. Oh, yeah. I was just looking at that, actually. Yes. Feeling Probably guilty. still talks about Hurricane <laughs> Sandy because we update it constantly. We're okay. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's fine. Uh, put up those links go into itunes our itunes page if you dig the show give us a review if you don't give us a review why and your name because you should stand by what you say yeah especially if you're gonna say i'm too williamsburg for you (laughs) that should be our our next t-shirt say your name (laughs) (laughs) just say it i'll find you (laughs) we'll see you next week 